and uh, we'll begin reading. I'm going to read starting in verse 15 as we continue our study in Ephesians chapter 1. Now hear God's word. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you, and what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power towards us who believe, according to the working of His great might, that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead, and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And He put all things under His feet, and gave Him as head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. This is God's Word. Dr. John Stott says that Ephesians 1, the whole chapter, is a prayer. We don't really see it that way until we get to verse 15, but it actually is, if you look at it carefully, the entire chapter is a prayer. The first three verses being an introduction, but after that, uh, Paul goes into a benediction, a praise, blessing God for a past present and future and we talked about that over the past few weeks but now in these verses 15 through 23 Paul starts to make an intercession in light of these praiseworthy acts of God so what Paul is doing is he's blessed God and given this wonderful benediction because of all that God has done for his people then he begins to pray for them in light uh, of what God has done. Um, Dr. Stott goes on to say this, if we keep, listen carefully, if we keep together praise and prayer, benediction and petition, we are unlikely to lose our equilibrium. So if we keep together the balance between praise and and benediction and prayer and intercession, if we can balance those out, then uh, uh, Dr. Stott says we won't lose our equilibrium. We'll stay solid and stay steady. Uh, the problem is, and look, I'm going to be real honest with you, the problem is there's no equilibrium, there's no balance because generally we do not pray. Christians don't pray. We talk about prayer, we talk about it a lot. In fact, I'm going to talk about it a lot this morning. And uh, it's going to heap guilt on you because we uh, talk about prayer, but we do very little of it. There are very few Christians that have a robust and healthy prayer life. And so I'm excited and at the same time a little, a little intimidated about talking about prayer. And I hope that you will uh, take uh, what we're going to talk about over the next few weeks and see if it will help you. 
And then during the question and answer time after church, if you have questions about prayer, um, let me tell you, we can help you. There are some things that you can do that can actually improve your prayer, your prayer life if you have one. And if you don't, then great. Let us help you. And listen to what Paul says, how to get started uh, with prayer. So over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about these things. The characteristics of our prayer. What's going on in our heart? And that's what we'll talk about this morning. Next week, we'll talk about the direction of our prayers. And then after that, the content of our prayers. We're going to talk about doctrine. See, just praying is uh, not enough. You need to have good doctrine like what we do when we sing at church. One of the guiding principles of the music at Christ the King is that we sing our theology. So we want, we want to sing songs that are rich in content. Um, and your prayers need to be that way as well. And then finally, the sum of our prayers, what's the purpose? But this morning, let's look at the characteristics of prayer. The characteristics of our prayer. And hopefully this will help you get started. It will sort of prime the pump or jumpstart you in your prayers. What prompts your prayers? I think Paul tells us what prompted his prayer. Secondly, what punctuates your prayers? What prompts them? And then what punctuates your prayers? And finally, what keeps you praying? Where is the perseverance to continue praying? If it's simply guilt, if it's simply the pastor getting up and heaping guilt on you and telling you you should pray more, which everybody knows we should pray more, that's not going to motivate you. So what motivates you? What will, will keep you and persevering in prayer? So what prompts you, what punctuates, and what keeps us praying? Look at what prompts Paul to pray in verse 15. Because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love for the saints. And then he goes on, I do not cease to give thanks for you. And he prays this marvelous prayer. What prompts you to pray? Let me suggest a couple of things. One is, I think that we need to develop a listening ear. A listening ear. Most people, if you listen to the literature or you read about this, most people listen to other people simply to respond. In other words, as someone is speaking, we're, we're calculating and formulating our response. But we are not listening to what they're saying. Right, husbands and wives? No? Oh, I know better than that. Most of the time when we're talking, we're simply calculating the words. We're doing all these gymnastics in our mind. How am I going to respond to what they're saying? We're really not listening to what's going on. And if we could develop a listening ear and think about what they're actually saying, our communication would actually blossom. Some of you have seen this on the internet. I thought it was hilarious. Here it goes. A, a giraffe's coffee. Have you seen this about the giraffe? How many of you have seen it? A giraffe's coffee. I'm the only one that spends time on the internet in this church. Okay, pray for me. All right. A giraffe's coffee would be cold by the time it reaches the bottom of its throat. Ever think of that? No. You only think about yourself. 
And that's the truth. I mean, this is a, a kind of a silly thing, but we don't think about it. Well, of course you don't think about it. Because what do we do? We, most of the time, we're thinking about ourselves. And it's not that there's anything wrong with that. In fact, we were designed to think about ourselves and we we're designed to think about other things. The problem is that we often are only listening in order to respond. We're not listening to hear. Listening to hear means that you really care about the person, that you love them, that you're willing to, to stop for a moment all the calculations in your mind. What am I going to say? What am I going to, how am I going to, what's my good comeback? How am I going to defend myself? How am I going to defend my position? How am I going to argue my case? And listen to what they're saying. And Paul is doing that. You see, he's getting a report from Asia Minor from, about the church of Ephesus, but all the other churches as well. And what he's hearing causes him to delight. In fact, he starts to sing. He is so thrilled to hear. Not just listening to respond, but hearing. And the love and the passion starts to flow out of this great apostle. So what did he hear? He had a listening ear. What did he hear? And what he heard was that radical gospel transformation had happened in this church and was continuing. Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear gospel and transformation, the first thing that comes into my mind is I'm not doing well enough. I'm not doing enough. Yes? I should be better than I am. I should be transforming more. I hear Chuck talking about gospel transformation and I'm sure it's happening to everybody else but me. Because I don't feel any different. I don't see any change. And listen, we are the worst ones in the world to judge our own condition. And this is why I've said many, many times in our church, you need some people around you that know you well enough and they have passport into your life that they can actually say to you, you know what, I see that there are some good things going on in your life. I know you well enough and you allow them to say to you, you know, there are some good things and you take it as an encouragement. But the other side is also true. There needs to be somebody in your life. Maybe it's your spouse, maybe not. But somebody who can say to you, you know what, you're not transforming. The gospel doesn't seem to be taking hold. What's wrong? And someone that you can talk to and share these things with. What did he hear? Paul heard that the gospel had really taken effect. Dr. Ferguson, Sinclair Ferguson, says this in his commentary, and it's very encouraging. Listen, authentic Christianity, authentic Christianity always transforms both the Godward, that's our vertical life, and the manward, horizontal dimensions of life. Otherwise, our professions of faith are hollow. The great charge, of course, against Christianity is that we're a bunch of hypocrites. And the reality is that that hypocrisy is a qualifying criteria to being a Christian. If you're not, if you can't look in the mirror and say to yourself in the mirror, you know there's a lot of hypocrisy in you. 
then you really need to look at your Christianity. Christianity is all about hypocrisy, isn't it? Isn't it? Isn't it all about that? Isn't it all about looking and seeing the other self and saying to the other self, no, I reject you. I want Jesus Christ. I don't want that. Isn't that what gospel transformation is? Dr. Packer, J.I. Packer, used to make this wonderful diagram on the board. I don't have a whiteboard or I could show you, but Dr. Packer says that as you go up towards God, the Godward dimension of your life, as you go up Godward, you're going to at the same time, imagine another line going down, and that line is your self-estimation of your self-worth. How well you're doing. And so as your estimation of God goes up, your Godward dimension, the way you're looking at yourself is going to start going down because you're comparing the gap gets larger and larger. But guess what happens if you really believe the Gospel? What do you find as you go down? What do you think is down there? Somebody tell me. Who's down there? Who went to the bottom for you? Jesus went to the bottom for you. He went to the pit for you. He went to the grave. Sheol. He went into the depths of despair. He went. So as you go down, you find Him. And what does He do? What do you think He does? He brings you up back into God's presence. And yes, you may feel guilty. Yes, you may feel terrible. But there He is to take what's wrong with us and make it right. The problem is, when Christians start to think they're doing great, and it's just, oh man, look at me. I got this prayer thing going on. I'm so glad Chuck talked about prayer. In fact, I think I'll have a seminar so I can teach everybody in the church how well to pray because I'm doing it so well. Now you've got a problem. Because none of us really prays as well as we ought to. There's a danger, of course, with all of this prompting and listening and all that. And the danger is uh, that the Gospel can become a work. We talk about this a lot. And you know, it's not that you shouldn't be working. Not that you shouldn't be putting out effort. Not that you shouldn't be trying to uh, be a better Christian. I'm all for that. I'm all for that. But a gospel of works without love, listen carefully, a gospel of works without love is what? It's no gospel. It's just moral rectitude. It's, it's self-improvement. It's just getting better. Always improving and improving. At least in your own mind and in your own estimation. At least as you measure yourself against other people. And what you notice about the Apostle Paul is he never was uh, measuring himself against other people. He was always looking at the glory and the holiness. Did you hear that song? The holy, the pulse, it's pulsing. It's pulsing in the whole universe, the holiness of God. And yet we want to come way down low and measure ourselves. Well, I'm doing so much better than Ray. Well, of course I'm doing better than Ray. But then behind Ray is Dave Fickett. I'm not doing so good compared to Dave. See, you know, then, then behind him is Stephen, and none of us compare to Stephen, right guys? He's really on track. 
Well, you get the picture. I mean, come on. We've got to quit comparing ourselves, measuring ourselves. So a gospel of works is no gospel. There has to be love involved in the gospel. You know, this same church, just historically, real quickly, let me take a little sideline here. The church at Ephesus, how many of you have read uh, Revelation chapter 2 when the angel appeared, uh, Jesus appeared, uh, and, and spoke to John, and he said, write seven letters. The first letter he wrote in Ephesians chapter 2 was to the church at Ephesus. And, the, and Jesus, in this angelic vision to John, tells... John, to say this to the Ephesians, I commend you for your good works, you're doing great, you have zeal, you love doctrine, you're reformed, you accepted John Calvin into your heart, you've done all these great things. Anybody awake this morning? That was funny. Um, the, the, you know, the, the, there's this commendation that he makes to the church of Ephesus. But then he says this, but... And whenever you hear God say, but, you've got to go, oh no, it's either going to be something really good or something really bad. And in this case, it was something really bad. He says, but, I have something against you. You've abandoned the love you had at first. You abandoned the love you had at first. Return. Return to your first love. Now, I've heard lots of sermons about that. And most people say they had abandoned Jesus Abandoned their first love. Jesus was their first love and they'd gone after something else. But that's not the context. The context is they were faithful to Jesus. They were doing everything right. But they had quit loving each other. They had quit loving each other. And I'm not talking about syrupy, you know, emotional kind of hugging, kissing, and lots of, you know, slobber. I'm not talking about that kind of love. I'm talking about really gritty love where you get into relationships that are messy and difficult, like marriage. Marriage is not easy, even in the best of circumstances. Having children. If you want your life turned upside down, have children. If you really want your life turned upside down, allow your children to reach teenage years. You know, most of us, we want to kill them before they get there, but after that, we're certain that we want to. And then your children go off and start having more kids. And then the worries really began. So it's a never-ending thing. Life is messy, and if you're going to be in relationships, unless you're just going to isolate yourself, which is never healthy, you're going to be in a mess. And Paul's saying, you can't just do the work. You have to love one another. You really have to do that. What real love is. So let gospel transformation be what prompts our prayers. Listen with a listening ear to your children or to your spouse or to the people around you. Not just so that you can answer, but so that you can truly hear what they're saying. And what that will do, at least if Paul is any kind of an, uh, an example for us, what it's going to do is it's going to prompt you to pray. Maybe pray before you say something that you'll later regret. See the response. So let a gospel transformation uh, be the cause and prompt for our prayers. The second one is what punctuates uh, your prayers? Look at verse 16. Paul says, I don't cease to give thanks for you 
in my prayers. So what you're seeing here is a punctuation of Paul's prayers with thanksgiving. With uh, thanksgiving. Um, how do you know? Here's a, here's a good test. Now look, I'm not going to... This is not meant to accuse anyone or make you feel bad, but I want you to think about this and maybe you can talk about it with uh, your, your family later. How do you know if your life has been transformed? How do you really know? Think about it. Let that question soak in. Because I get asked this a lot. How do I know that Jesus Christ really lives with me? How do I know? One of the ways that you know, there's several ways, but one of them is listen to your prayers. In other words, when you start praying, whenever you do, listen to what you're saying. And if your prayer goes something like this, you know, God, I am so grateful. I am so thankful to You that I'm not like those Democrats. I'm so thankful to You, Lord, that I'm not like those people in Ferguson, Missouri who burned down their own neighborhoods. I'm so much better than them. I would never do that. And I'm very thankful that I'm better than them. I'm doing so much better. There's a problem. Do you see the problem? Jesus gave a parable. He said there was a rich man that went into the temple and he went up to the front and he said, Lord, I thank You I'm not like other men. I'm not a thief. I don't steal. I don't rob. I don't murder. I don't do all these things. I'm so grateful. I'm so thankful to You that I'm not like that man. And in the back of the room is this poor tax collector who was from Ferguson, Missouri. He was, a, he was a scum person. And he's back there and he's going, God, I don't even deserve to be in this room. I can't approach. I can't get close. And he's beating his chest and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. You see, there's a difference. Are we truly thankful? Is our life thank Not comparing again ourselves to other people, but are we really thankful? for who we are. Are our, our lives punctuated with gratitude? You know what? You may, you may actually, I say punctuated because you may be going through a period of time in your life. I don't know everybody's story. Some, you know, some of us, we keep things quiet to ourselves because we don't want other people to know it's too painful. But whatever's going on in your life, maybe you're in a season of life where there's heartache, real heartache, and pain, and loneliness, and suffering, and disappointment, and regret. I don't know. Maybe it is. And that's okay. You don't want to ignore that. In fact, I would say that if you're in a season of life like that where you're really struggling, maybe you're angry at God. Why did you do this? Why did you allow this? Why have you caused this particular set of, of circumstances to come in my life? Why? I don't understand it and I don't like it. And I'm not sure I like you that much. It's okay. Lament. Speak to God. Talk to Him. Pour your heart out in reality to Him. But make sure that as you do, you're punctuating that, those prayers and those complaints 
with gratitude. If you read the Psalms, you will hear David. Go, he goes to God. In fact, a majority of the Psalms are laments and complaints. But go read them. He complains and he complains. How long are you going to forget me? How long are you going to leave me? Are you, what are you doing up there? Did you, have you looked at the calendar lately? Do you know what day it is? Do you see what's going on in my life? And then he will say, but... Thank you, God, for this, and thank you for that, and thank them. And then he'll punctuate it with gratitude and thanks. Then he may slip back into complaining again. That's real. That's human. That makes sense. Make sure that your prayers are punctuated with thankfulness and gratitude. So look, what's prompting your prayers? Listen. Have a listening ear. What's punctuating your prayers? Gratitude and thankfulness. And what keeps you in prayer? Look at what he says again in this verse 16. Uh, For this reason, 15 and 16, I do not cease. I do not cease. One of the things about Paul was that he never stopped praying. He was persistent in his prayers. Do you know I looked on uh, my computer. I have a, a very powerful Bible program and, and uh, it'll do these amazing searches. So I, I did a search while I was preparing for this, on persistence in prayer. Persistence in prayer. And I found literally dozens, dozens of Scriptures, Old and New Testament, that that tell us we are to be persistent in our prayers. You know, there's these passages, and I can't name them all, there's too many, but let me give you a few. We have these these teachings of Jesus where He says things like ask, seek, and knock. And He uses a form of of the verb ask and keep on asking. You've heard this before. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. There's a persistence. Then there's these parables about widows coming and knocking on the door of the, the, the judge and saying, give me justice. Give me justice. And the judge is reticent. He doesn't want to do it. And he holds back and he doesn't answer the door. And, he's, and then widow keeps knocking and knocking. Then you have these other parables where there's a man or a woman and they come to the house at night, late at night, because they have no bread and a visitor is coming. They're knocking on the door, give me bread for my visitor who's come. I don't have bread. And the, the neighbor doesn't want to open the door. But he keeps knocking, knocking. Then he finally gets the bread. The, the widow finally gets the justice. And we think, I think in our minds, somehow we're thinking, well, the point of those prayers is that God is someone that you have to twist His arm. That He's holding back. That He's reticent. That So you just have to keep going and you just have to annoy Him enough until He finally will answer your prayers. But Jesus is not, do, he's not using those parables to teach that. In fact, it's exactly the opposite. He's using a rabbinic technique of contrasting, not comparing. So what he's saying is, the unjust judge who will not answer the door late at night because he doesn't want to be bothered by the widow is not comparing him to God who doesn't want to answer our prayers for justice and for goodness in our lives. It's exactly the opposite. He's contrasting. He's saying God is not like that unjust judge. God is not like that man 
who will not answer the door and give you. In fact, it's the opposite. He is there. He wants to answer your prayers. So Jesus is saying exactly the opposite. Persistence is in no way pointing us towards reticence or God withholding prayer from uh, our answers to our prayers. On the contrary, God, it points to His faithfulness and His covenant loyalty. His willingness to pray. Martin Luther, who was uh, known for his amazing prayer life, Martin Luther said this, prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance. Prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance. But laying hold of His willingness. You see what Paul was saying to the Ephesians when he prayed, and he prays for them several times. We're going to look at another of his prayers in a few weeks. He's saying God is willing to answer your prayer. He wants to answer your prayers. So pray. Because He's inclined His ear to me, the psalmist said, because He's inclined. This is the basis for my prayers. Because He has inclined His ear to me, I will seek Him for the rest of my life. What's the problem? The problem is simply this, folks. We cease praying. The Scripture says pray without ceasing, but when we don't get the answer we want and we don't get it in the time frame that we want, we stop praying. We quit. We just stop. You know, Tim Keller has just come out with a book on prayer. It's going to be very good. But Keller famously says this. Listen carefully. This just blows my mind. A good father, a good father will give you what you ask for. A good father will give you what you ask for. Or, he will give you what you would have asked for if you knew everything he knows. Don't you love that? A good father will give you what you've asked for. Or, he will give you what you would have asked for if you knew everything he knows. In both cases, do you see the, 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 the mind-blowing truth of this? That in both cases, you have someone listening to and hearing your prayers who loves you and has your best interest at heart. Do you see that? It's awesome. It's mind-blowing. It's revolutionary. Don't stop praying simply because we're disappointed or we're struggling or whatever. Don't stop because of guilt. Maybe you have sin in your life. That's one of the things that, that really stops us. We think, well, I'm not worthy. I have sin in my life. Therefore, I'm not worthy to go before God. Let me ask you a question, folks. How do you expect to deal with your sin if you don't go to God with your sin? How do you intend to do it? You with me? How are you going to deal with it? Here's how we do it. And I know, I wouldn't ask for any hands to be raised, but here's how we do it. We commit sin and we say, okay, here's what I'll do. I will get up really early tomorrow morning and I will read my Bible and I promise not to do that thing anymore and I do this and we start rolling out all these things that we're going to do to what? to make up for our sin. 
When the Bible's telling us all the time, confess your sins, and He is what? What is He? Faithful. So the first thing, not that you shouldn't get up the next morning early, but yes, get up, read your Bible, yes, do all kinds of good works, yes, but don't do anything until you go to God with that mess and say, look what I did, oh my gosh, what did I do? Help me, save me, have mercy on me, forgive me, Lord Jesus, I'm a great sinner. And He forgives you and He says, okay, now go and do what I've commanded you to do. Delay in prayers means nothing, folks. It means nothing. Delay is just what? What is delay? It's delay. It's nothing else than that. You know what I mean? You put money in the bank. How many of you deposit money in the bank? How long does it take before it shows up on your bank? Shouldn't it happen instantly? Even electronic banking, you'd make a deposit, you have to wait. I mean, it's going somewhere, it's going out there, right? But we're so impatient, we want, right now, I want my prayers answered this minute. You know what, it's been 24 hours. It's been two weeks. God is, look, God is living in eternity. Do you realize what that does to Him? <laughs> He's out there in eternity, and not that He doesn't care about our minutes and our hours and our years. He cares immensely about them. But what it does say to us is that we're, he, is, he is looking at things completely different than we are. That's all the more reason to pray, not to faint. Jesus is the, the, the great One who is listening to and will answer our prayers. Delay means nothing. He knows, and He hears, and He promises. That brings us to finally the, 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 the last part of this. And Listen very carefully. What will keep you praying? Is it just going to be a guilt, guilt-ridden sermon? No, it's not going to do. That will not do. What will keep you praying? I'll tell you what will keep me, you praying because it's what keeps me praying. And that is that I have a great high priest I have a great high priest you know Jesus life by all accounts anybody it doesn't matter whether they're Muslim or Hindu or Buddhist or Jewish or anybody else if they read the historical account of Jesus will say this man was an extraordinary man and this man was an extraordinary man of prayer you read in the Bible about Jesus prayer life and it really it's very intimidating. He went into the wilderness, he prayed. He got up early in the morning and he prayed. Sometimes he would pray all night long. And then when they're killing him and crucifying him and beating him, what's he doing? He's praying for them. He is constantly in prayer. His prayer life is exemplary. It's, in, it's incredible. And we try to use His prayer life as an example. We say, okay, let's pray like Jesus. We'll get up early. We'll pray all night. We'll pray like this. We'll pray like that. And we start to, we start to distill His prayer life, the prayer life of Jesus Christ, into a methodology or an example for our prayers. I'm not saying you shouldn't get up early or that you shouldn't pray all night or do what Jesus did. But 
you don't want to turn them into merely a model for your prayer life and be like Jesus. Because He's much more than that, folks. He's more than an example for us. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews says. Jesus holds His priesthood permanently because He continues forever. You see, He's been raised from the dead. Consequently, He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to Him since He always lives to make intercession for them. Folks, Jesus' perfect life of prayer, His perfect death on the cross, satisfies God's requirements for our prayers. Do you see that? We have a high priest in the heavens. And if merely Jesus' prayer life is an example, then it's going to crush you. It's going to crush you. But if Jesus' life becomes not just a model or an example for you, but it's for you, if you really believe that there is a great high priest who is seated in the heavens, who is ever living now to make intercession for you and I, it will not crush you. It will compel you. You'll run to the throne of grace. You'll cry out to God for mercy. You will be at your, at your best when you see Him at His best. Living ever praying for us. That will compel us. Jesus Christ lived that perfect life, had that perfect prayer life. Not so that you and I wouldn't have to ever pray again. But so we could. Do you see it? He prayed, a, he had a perfect prayer life. Not so that we wouldn't have to ever pray again. But so that we could so that we could enter into the throne room of grace and taste mercy at His hands. I hope you'll believe that. And as you think about your prayers, what prompts them, what punctuates them, and why persevere, that at the center of that will be Jesus Christ, the perfect, the perfect man who prayed for us. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your goodness and mercy. We're so very grateful to You for all the goodness that You've done to us and for us in Jesus Christ. And now, Father, we ask that You would feed us in our hearts by faith through these beautiful sacrament of bread and wine that were given the body of Christ, the blood of Christ for us. Please, Father, we ask that You would do that. And if if you will communicate to us your goodness in these elements, we give you thanks, please. We do this in Christ's name. Amen.